0: just asking yourself questions like, is my child happy? Is my child thriving? Am I healthy and happy? What about if I have a partner, is that person doing well? Okay, yep, we're all great, cool, let's do it.
1: Welcome back to a new season of Big Little Choices. This is Shri, and I'm so excited to bring you more stories, more inspiring choices, and more opportunities for all of us to learn about what other amazing women and mothers are doing. We really want the season to inspire you, and to make a choice or choices that are right for you. If you've heard episodes from the previous season, I hope your takeaway was that you can make an unconventional choice, stay true to yourself, and still have a happy ending. Hope you enjoy the show. In our last episode, we talked to Rachel about her choice to formula feed her son from day one and why the choice was right for her. Today's story is very different. I talked to Sarah and her choice to breastfeed her daughter till she was over 5 years. Sarah grew up in a very happy home, in a small seacoast town of New Hampshire. Sarah's father passed away when she was six, and so it was only Sarah and her mother, and they both built a wonderful relationship based on trust, independence, and adventure. And as a result, Sarah never really felt any pressure to go in any direction other than her own. Married at 25 and pregnant at 30, Sarah always knew that she wanted to be a mom. She had an easy pregnancy, labor, and delivery, and didn't really have an agenda on what kind of a mom she was going to be. But along the way, she did end up making a few choices that you might call unconventional. So I'd love to hear more about your choice to be an extended breastfeeder. And you breastfed your daughter, who's now seven, till she was a little over five. And it's interesting, given that you didn't go into this journey thinking that, I am going to breastfeed for a certain amount of time, or this is how I want to do it. So what was that journey like once you had her and your experience with breastfeeding and why you chose to do it for as long as you did?
0: Yeah, it's a topic that I'm really passionate about. Really, I care a lot about it and would consider myself a breastfeeding advocate. I was breastfed myself until I was around four. So I grew up with it being very normalized. My mom would regularly reference it as sort of these sweet times of her life, of our life together as mother and daughter. And so when I was pregnant and thinking about having, you know, imagining what it would be like once my daughter was born, I felt certain that breastfeeding would be a large part of it, but I didn't have any kind of year range around it. And I started to here early on, oh, you know, six months is is all you need. No, a year is probably good. And then the World Health Organization recommends two years minimum. And and as we started our journey, we did have some challenges, which surprised me. I would say because I my body had had really taken to pregnancy, and I really hadn't had any any um, struggles along the way. So the fact that I would run into a little struggle around breastfeeding, which I just assumed would naturally happen kind of effortlessly, which is sort of laughable probably to anyone that's been down that path, but that was my my misconception at the time. And my daughter uh, was born with a tongue tie, that was a remedy just a few days after she was born, but it kind of started off our journey being a little bit difficult. I used a nipple shield for some time. I sought lactation support for several months. Even once she was a pro at it and I was fully confident, I got a lot of nourishment from that relationship of a lactation consultant who uh, became a big part of my life and then a lot of the breastfeeding support groups or just the the parenting groups where breastfeeding during the the meeting was encouraged and uh, supported I got a lot out of that and so I really I felt really proud of it and so I would breastfeed confidently anywhere really I took flights and I would breastfeed on the plane or at restaurants or whatever and I just I just felt really supported in it. I felt supported by my own mother, by friends, by my husband, of course. And then sometime later, once we had our daughter uh, as part of a nanny share, I was supported then by that that caregiver as well, who would give my give my daughter my pumped milk in a bottle. And and so just the whole the whole process was really great for me. And I was fortunate to have enough of a supply that I was able to donate. So I donated my breast milk for a long time and felt really, really pleased to be a part of that community as well. And I just, I had such support and my mom would tell me how proud of me she was and I wasn't facing any barriers towards it. And so it was such a fit for us. You know, my daughter slept so beautifully. (laughs) She'd breastfeed to sleep a lot. Uh, We did, which at the time I didn't know there was a name for it and that it was whole, swath of people that do this but contact napping where I napped with her I would hop in bed with her and and breastfeed her to sleep and we did that for years and it would be a time for us to connect and a time for me to rest and sleep as well and so one month led into another led into a year and two and three and It just was such a fit for our family and I I worked full-time and so I'd come home and it was just a really great time for us to reconnect and you know for her to be comforted and healthy and she's got to this day an incredible immune system which I do attribute to those all those years as you know I'm sure there's a lot of factors there but certainly I feel confident that that has a huge part of it and it just it wasn't necessarily my plan but I As we passed the year mark and the two-year mark, I started to read up on it. Like, what is this thing called that we're doing? I wonder if we're, you know, kind of rare. I wonder if there's a community of people. And so I started reading up on, quote, extended breastfeeding, which I, I had no words for at the time. And I thought, this is working for me. You know, I'm able to live my life, care for my child. She's happy and thriving. I'm happy and thriving. Everyone in this family of ours is doing well. Why stop this? And um, it's not like I was shouting it from the rooftops that we were still breastfeeding as the years went by, but it wasn't a big hidden thing either. And then obviously, as she got older and, and into school age and all that, it would really just be a nighttime snuggle as as we read books together before bed. It wasn't like a constant on-demand breastfeeding type situation as it, as it was in the baby and toddler years. It, it was much more of a part of our sort of sweet settling down bedtime routine. And it really worked for us. And I read more about it and felt really proud of us for that. And, um, and it, it just worked. And then I and I told her, when you're ready to stop when you don't want to do this anymore, or if you for whatever reason, you just don't want to breastfeed anymore. Let's let's talk about it. And one day I was in the shower, and she came in and she popped her head around the curtain. And she said, Mama, you know, there's, there's no more milk. And I, I don't think I want to breastfeed anymore. And You know i just sort of paused for a while just to kind of think about her words and i said okay buddy all right that's great and we just we just kind of like celebrated it and and let it go
1: so from what you're saying it sounds like it was a pretty organic experience right you it was pretty straightforward for you to get into breastfeeding once you sorted out the tongue tie situation you had a very supportive community your mom and so on But was there anything else that really drove you to doing this for an extended period of time? Was it something about connection? Was it something about your own memories from your childhood? Like, what was it that kind of like kept you going till she was five?
0: I think because I was breastfed till I was four and I had this sort of family folklore stories of how wonderful that was, I... I expected that I would breastfeed her for a long time, but I was really taking it day to day and which is how I guess I kind of parent in a lot of ways anyway, is just like letting go of some control where I'm not always going to be able to control certain aspects. So let's just be open minded about how this unfolds. Let's kind of take each day as an adventure and and just kind of roll with it. And, and I did the same thing with our, with our breastfeeding relationship, but my daughter was so comforted and it was just the sweetest connection between us that I needed and wanted and loved maybe as much as she did. And, um, You know, after being at work all day, I just always so looked forward to getting home and just having that that time with her where I knew it was ours to have together. And, you know, if she wasn't feeling well, it always made her feel better. If she was had an upset stomach and couldn't keep food down, it was like the one thing that would help her. And if she hurt herself, it was a pain reliever. It was felt really healing to her. And I just didn't see any reason to stop because I wasn't facing any pressure to do so. And or if or frankly, if anyone was saying anything negative or judgmental about it, it wasn't to me directly. And I either ignored it or tuned it out or, or just wasn't aware.
1: And do you think people were saying something because it sounds like you had a very supportive community. But at any point, did you feel like, you know, after she was a certain age, if anybody wondered why you were um, still breastfeeding?
0: Most people knew that I was still breastfeeding probably until she was around 3 and i and you know friends would say oh are you still breastfeeding and i'd say yeah you know just like you know without no need to further comment just yeah we are and and they typically wouldn't have anything to say you know it, it, either it was like just a question and or it was a supportive comment or whatever i i didn't have any friends give me any any uh, trouble about it by any means but then i would say after 3 you know probably from 4 to 5 I don't know how many people were aware of it because as I said, it was by that point very much a, okay, we brushed our teeth and washed our hands and face and we're, you know, we're reading books in bed. And it's just like this, this private moment for us as, as she was falling asleep. And so I didn't tell her, you can't talk about this or you can't share this. I think I don't know if she told her little friends or, or peers or classmates or anything, if she told them about it. I don't know if she thought it was different or uh, against the the norm for some. I, I'm not really sure what she thought about it. I never really asked her. And and to this day, to be honest, it's sort of. I'm thinking right now, I wonder, I should ask her, do you think other children breastfed as long as you did? Because I don't know what her kind of societal perception of this is now that she's older if she just thinks like oh that's the way we do it in our family and that's fine which frankly that's kind of a piece of our parenting is that some families make some choices and our family makes this choice and there's no right or wrong it's just what's right for for your individual family so because she's used to those kinds of conversations perhaps she doesn't think anything of it at all.
1: What I'm curious about is did this affect Any part of your life in the sense of your ability to travel or your ability to socialize and go out in the evenings when you weren't the one putting her to bed. Did this have any effect on some of these other pieces in your life?
0: You know, an effect only in that it perhaps took a little more logistical planning at times. I did travel for work. I traveled internationally, so sort of dealing with bringing a breast pump and making sure I had the right adapter for that pump and dealing with, you know, the TSA coming back with frozen breast milk and all those challenges that anyone that's done it knows. And I was always ready to be a warrior about it and kinda of know my rights and be really, really strong and advocate for myself if need be, which frankly it, it's come up plenty of times while traveling. The sort of necessity to defend the right to carry breast milk. And so, yeah, I mean, there were challenges for sure. I I still would periodically go out with friends back home. My husband was able to get her to bed with with a bottle or sometimes not even a bottle. They had their own way. So she would go to bed just fine for him so I could have my own time and, you know, just building in time for pumping and for making sure that I was was healthy and doing fine and she had all that she needed. So I think Perhaps it it did have an effect uh, in that it just took a little bit more planning, but I wouldn't say a negative effect.
1: You know, this is especially so interesting for me because I was kind of on the other side of things where I couldn't breastfeed, tried working with a lactation consultant for a couple of weeks. At the very most, I was pumping like maybe three or four ounces a day, which was clearly not enough for my son. And then at some point we had to switch over to formula. So, you know, it's it's really great to hear this perspective and your story, which is that it can be easy, it can be done. And you know, the the piece that I love the most is your choice to do it for as long as you wanted to, and not because, you know, the World Health Organization says something or your pediatrician says something, but rather doing it in a way that just felt right for you and your daughter.
0: I do think my experience would have been different if I if I didn't have so much support and if it hadn't been so normalized in my own childhood. And when my daughter was born, right after I went back to work, my mom came to California and took care of her for her first year. So it was, frankly, the probably the most extraordinary gift she's ever given me. And so I had a lot of that that support of her also she was she was right there kind of observing some of our journey and I pumped and I would she would bottle feed my daughter as as my husband did with my milk and um, and I don't know I just uh, not only for myself but just being an advocate for others and I've I've regularly supported friends and uh fellow members of different parenting groups and also colleagues in their journeys and uh, I've advocated for pumping spaces at two different offices for two different jobs I've had and it's just something that I really believe in but I also I also don't believe in putting pressures on parents for how how they parent and what choices that they make and I just realize everyone has to do things the way that work for them. And I'm very careful to avoid any of the judgment stuff around around parenting, including breastfeeding.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think which brings me to the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about is your choice to co-sleep, because that's something that we do. And I feel like in the initial days, my son is now three and a half. And in the initial days when we chose not to sleep train, Um, Or even when we did very briefly and it didn't work out for us and then ultimately we ended up co-sleeping There were very few people who were in the same boat as us, you know, the thing that I felt like I was constantly seeking was Some sort of support or validation that this choice was okay And it's ironic because I slept with my parents bed till I was eight years old as do as did so many of my friends who grew up in India where culturally it's the norm When I took my son to India for the first time when he was six months and told my mom that I was going to keep him in a separate room, she was shocked. She was like, what are you talking about? Like, he should be sleeping in your room, ideally next to you in your bed. Why would you even consider putting him away somewhere else? And so for me, it was just this constant sort of like struggle between these two cultures of knowing that it was okay for me culturally from an Indian standpoint. But knowing that over here in the U.S. it isn't as common and quite frankly a lot of times I got comments like why would you still let him sleep with you or oh my god why have you not got him out of your bed as yet or it's not too late you can still sleep train him and I think it took me a good two and a half years to finally make peace with it and I love it and I enjoy it and I think as with anything there's downsides to stuff and there is downsides to this too but i think the positives outweigh it so much for me that it isn't that you know i have to justify it anymore i own it and i finally feel like co-sleeping is what's right for our family so i just really want to hear more about like your choice to co-sleep and how that sort of happened
0: for co-sleeping i realize that it's so common in so many countries and cultures and in this particular country, I think there's a a huge group of people that do it, but a small amount of people that admit it. And so it's been interesting to kind of understand that as I've gone over through the years, we kind of fell into it. It was not the game plan. We bought a crib, my husband and a friend assembled it. I had all these visions of, wouldn't it just kind of be so sweet to watch her sleeping there and all these all these things we lived in a small apartment at the time so having her in her own room was both of no interest to me and also not a possibility based on the setup of our place once she outgrew the bassinet the small bassinet we had next to our bed we then were trying the crib It was a disaster. She couldn't stand it. She wouldn't stay asleep in there at all. She'd be sound asleep in my arms, having breastfed to sleep, and I would go to lay her down, and she'd wake wide up. We were spending so much time trying to get her to sleep. In a moment of desperation around maybe she was four or five months old, I said to my husband, what if I lay in our bed and I nurse her to sleep and then I just sort of sneak away and we've got pillows and we've got a little monitor. We also live in a tiny place. We can pop in anytime and check on her. What what about that? And we both decided, yeah, let's give that a try. That sounds right. So we did and she slept brilliantly and we realized we could get her to sleep. She's in a safe place getting her healthy sleep. And we can be out here hanging on the couch, having dinner, watching a show, reading a book, whatever. And so that's what we did. And we made our bed a safe space for her sleep. And I realized I was sleeping so much better. I didn't have to keep getting up and down to breastfeed. I could just get her my breast right there while she was uh, right next to me. And then as she got older, she could access it herself. I didn't even wake up. And I just realized my quality of sleep is really good. I love having her close to me. My husband and I both felt really good about being so close and having her so safe with us. And once I went back to work, I really cherished it because it was a reconnection time. As the months and years went by, I realized, wow, I'm so in tune with her because if she had a restless night's sleep or she had a growing pain or she had a bad dream or a fever, I was hyper aware of that in the moment it was happening and I could we could help her address it and help her through it and we both just had this deep connection with her around around that that really sprang from that and I did go to a workshop on sleep training just to kind of check it out because I was feeling some societal pressures around sleep training as a first-time parent you think like oh that's what I'm what I'm supposed to do, what I'm meant to do. Yeah, so I I checked out some books and I went to a workshop. Well, that's just, that is not a fit for my children, either of them. There is absolutely no way that a sleep training scenario of the most gentle or the most extreme would ever work for them. There's no way. And you have to know your little people and you have to know your own heart and know what you can handle and know what your child can handle And we we knew that we just happened to have two kids that they're gonna find their own path with sleep and no amount of training is gonna work out. And also, again, I avoid judgment on this topic, but for me personally, I'm only speaking for myself, I cannot stand by sleep training for my children.
1: What I loved about talking to Sarah is the conviction with which she appears to make her decisions and unapologetically so. Society often makes us feel like we need to justify our decisions if they are not the norm, and in Sarah's case, none of that was of importance as long as she, her kids, and her partner were happy with her choices. I had so many takeaways from this conversation. Learning to let your kids lead the way in certain things and checking in with the stakeholders who are the only ones truly affected by your choices are definitely values I'm going to try to embrace more in my own life. We wrapped up our chat with some final thoughts on what gives her the courage to make these unconventional choices.
0: I think we end up kind of relying on some of the ways in which we grew up and what we heard and what was kind of what society whispers in our ear. And it's really a challenge. I think, you know, when my son was born, I I still didn't, even though I'd already been through a one parent journey, I didn't have any specific Um, plans. I thought, well, what worked with my daughter might work with my son. Let's give that a shot. And to some, in some respects, that's worked out. In other ways, not as much. I think connecting with certain uh, social media groups can be really helpful to see, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, I have a question. And maybe I'm not comfortable asking a friend because they probably, it's likely that their child has their own bed. Uh, Perhaps they were sleep trained and perhaps they, um, you know, aren't, aren't breastfeeding anymore or, or ever did, um, you know, you just, you don't, I think even with our close friends, perhaps we don't always know those personal parent choices that are happening. So I think some of those social media tools are, can be really helpful. And I think just kind of knowing your heart, knowing what, what feels right for you, what you can handle, Knowing the little person that you have in your life and what they can handle and just asking yourself questions like, is my child happy? Is my child thriving? Am I healthy and happy? What about if I have a partner? Is that person doing well? Okay, yep, we're all great. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do what feels right and let's just let's just own it. There's so many pressures on parents, mothers in particular, from colleagues and friends and family and the media about the ways in which parenthood or motherhood should look and the ways that we should act and behave and the rules that we should follow and it's it's that does that's not doesn't always mean it's the right way and so I think you just have to you just have to do what's really working for you and and check in with yourself and check in with your child and your family um and uh and go from there
1: Thank you for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with another interview and until then, if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about, let me know.